Full send. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Lopcast. We're back with you after a couple of weeks of hiatus, but we're ready to talk more NC State sports here with you. Uh, Trey Lauer is with you, along with Alec Lauer and Isad Malik, and the newest member of Trinity Road Times is with us as well, Joel Siegel, joining us for the first time here on the Lopcast. Joel, man, thanks so much for being a part of this. We appreciate it. Hey, I'm excited to be a part of it. We're, we're certainly glad to, to be able to have a lot of positive things to talk about this week, for sure, uh, as NC State, for the second time in three years, boy, that sounds good, uh, beats the Clemson Tigers, uh, and for the second time at Carter-Finley Stadium in a row. Uh, this time, it didn't have as big of the implications as the meeting two years ago, and certainly not the meeting last year, but uh, a win nonetheless for the Wolfpack. Uh, gets them to five wins on the year with four wins to go in the regular season. Uh, first, <laughs> first of all, guys, here your 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 takeaways on uh, what ended up being a, a really important win for NC State. Thank God, yeah, Kevin they... Concepcion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you can uh, can beat Dabo is a good day. Um, if you know me, you know I'm a I'm a very um, active Clemson hater. So <laughs> it, no, it was it was exactly what we've been talking. It was it was exactly what we've been talking about all year with this team. Is this team is very flawed, but if they just execute what's in front of them, right, they can win almost any game on the schedule because they're not playing any elite teams this year. And that's exactly what happened. Right, they didn't play they didn't play well on offense. They played really well on defense. Their offense was really three explosive plays in the game, you know, but they didn't have a single drop in the first three quarters. They had one penalty. Um, they didn't make mistakes. And when you play, you know, these types of games against teams like this, where it's going to be low scoring, um, there's not going to be a ton of sustained offense. Um, it's going to be a close game. You know, it's going to be a competitive four quarter game. The team that makes less mistakes is the team that wins like 90% of the time. Uh, and that's what happened. And that was great to see. Cause that's what we've been harping on constantly all year. Well, we took care of the football. I think that was the one of the things that we needed to do to win the game. But also, uh, I think we saw some signs of life in the offense. If we could just do more of that, uh, maybe the change in the offensive line has made some difference. We didn't have any offensive line false start penalties, so that was a good thing too. So I think that was yeah. some positives we could bring to it, you know. Yeah, it's tough, um, you know, with only having – 200 yards of total offense, uh, but uh, <laughs> with uh, Concepcion accounting for 122 of those yards. Um, just give him the ball two more times. <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where, uh, yeah, they, they broke up a lot of explosive plays, which was great, but um, the the one large run was just, you know, that was one where he just hit the gap and just took off and they just couldn't catch him. That was great to, to be able to show that, um, you know, as long as somebody dynamic can uh, get the ball and the run game is capable. I think that that showed some improvement with the offensive line and, and creating opportunities to, to make those opportunities, to make those chances. But, you know, uh, it seems like Concepcion is all of a sudden the best running back and the best receiver on the team. Um, you know, he had two carries for 51 yards, and Michael Allen had seven carries for 19 yards, uh, and long of 12. So that shows you with the other six uh, what his average was was doing. But um, 
I I would have liked to have seen them take a few more shots downfield. We've got a couple of looks at Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith is is going to be ultimately the uh, the consummate decoy for for long balls. He's just uh, I I don't I if I had to put the over under at one of these long balls versus zero or like greater than zero <laughs> of one of these getting caught in the rest of the season, I would I would bet the zero. Um, I uh, I I I think it's just funny that we keep throwing the ball of them. I don't think uh, that it's, it's going to work out for us, but you know. There's room. Yeah, there's room for improvement. It's interesting because if you go back and read our game previews, I think in mine, I basically talked about how NC State and Clemson were the exact same football team this year. Not just <laughs> yeah. their record, but they both had prized quarterback recruits who were uh, in offenses that weren't playing up to the standards they should be with first-year offensive coordinators. But what I didn't include that I should have was whichever team was going to make the least amount of mistakes was going to win the game. And that just happened to be NC State this week. And, you know, I think MJ didn't play particularly well, but he didn't have to because the defense, to me, was the story in the game. Obviously, the mm-hmm. Peyton Wilson pick six. Uh, Joel mentioned to us also, you know, Sean Brown played out of his mind in that game. So, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, of good defensive things to talk about as well. Absolutely. You know, it, we keep praising Peyton Wilson, uh, you know, and, and he deserves every accolade, but uh, Devin Boykin had one of the best plays you'll, you'll see out of the secondary, uh, po- quite possible for a, a third down stop that he had. And just overall improvements in the secondary were really nice to see. And um, Devin Band continues to be a problem. So it, it's one of those things where um, it was surprising to see Clemson's offensive line struggle as much as they have. They've always been really good on the offensive line front, and uh, you know, it just NC State was able to get get any kind of pressure they wanted, which was really cool to see. I thought it was other than other than the last series of the third quarter where Clemson went seventy five yards in ten plays, um, and Clubnet was six for six. I thought it was a really well-called defensive game. I thought you really got to see a lot of the exotic post-snap action that Tony Gibson loves. Um, I know that one of the plays that was circling around Twitter was a uh, they showed a six-man blitz and then only ended up rushing one guy. I think it was Jalen Scott. It ended up being a sack. Um, you know, it's 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 tough stuff for a quarterback to look at, uh, and you know, I think that that definitely makes a difference. And then you know, they have good enough athletes they can you know get home on those types of things, which is. Uh, you know, obviously a huge thing in in, the, in that game. And then um, the pick six really was, I mean, Peyton Wilson has played out of his mind for weeks, but he was just in the right place at the right time for that one. Now, yeah. I don't know who it was that got a hand on the ball, but I was, uh, uh, I thought the defensive line did a good job. When you don't get home, get your hands in the air. Yeah. Was it uh, Hibbler that got the hand on it? It might have been Hibbler. I honestly don't remember. They initially um, said it was Davin Van, but I think that was, I don't, I think they decided it wasn't Davin Van. But I can't remember who they said who they said it was exactly. Yeah, I yeah, go back and look. I don't remember either. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, but you get a play like that in a game like that. Uh, it just completely changes the game. Obviously, you know when oh, yeah. you're looking at a game that's going to be played in the twenties, uh, you know, and that's where we are, and that's where that's why Dave harps so much on on the turnover margin and all that stuff is because 
right now we're a team that's going to play games in the 20s. And we were last year. You know, uh, It hasn't always been like that. Dave has this um, reputation of being this, you know, hyper conservative play slow coach. And I think that's who he's, who he's been recently for sure. But a lot of that is a function of the fact that we don't have a good offense. You know, we don't, we don't have, we can't put sustained drives together. Right. So the team that makes less mistakes often does win the game. Uh, and I certainly have my issues with that. And, and I've written it in basically every article, but um, that's the story here. Right. I mean, it's the same thing as the Duke game. Uh, the scores are wildly different, but one team made more mistakes than the other team. Um, you know, we had the lone turnover and 11 penalties in the Duke game. And, you know, everyone, you know, that as bad as that was, bad as that game looked, if you don't do those things, if you have two penalties and you catch the ball, that's a four-quarter game. Um, and, and you know, it was just really – it was nice to see them just go out and execute what was in front of them, which at the end of the day on offense was like five total plays, but no crippling mistakes. And that's kind of the headline for me at least. And they got they got ahead early by taking advantage of the interception. Um, yeah. Was it Chaheen Battle that had the, the first interception? Um, and it was, it was Boykin, one of those things. De- Devin Boykin, I think. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sorry. And um, so, yeah, that was one thing that they immediately got in scoring position and capitalized right away. And then they seemed to really kind of have the momentum. The, the win was in, at their back at that point, which was really nice to see. What's been really good for us this year, though, I think, is Caden Nuncaster has done a really good job of, of uh, having the other team start inside the 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even even though his average is not as great as it could be, I mean, he's he's getting them, they're getting the ball at the 10, 12-yard line, so they got to go a long way. He's done a really good job of that all year. And Braden Narvison, I think, has become – he's becoming better every week. He's almost getting automatic now. So yeah. it's almost like, a, it's almost like a Chris Dunn all over again. So it's really good yeah. to see that. Yeah, special yeah. teams kind of is the unheralded unit on the team and, and hasn't really been talked about a whole lot this year. But uh, Jalen Coyd, I think, is top five in the ACC in punt return yardage. And we know Julian Gray's got a kick return touchdown this year. Mm-hmm. So that, that that makes a difference, too, for sure. And I think um, you mentioned it, Caden Nunkester. He just sounds like a punter. That name just makes him sound <laughs> like a punter. Yeah. But yeah. but I think I think that uh, you know you make a good point there. You know special teams also played a role, and it was a it was a com- I don't want to say a complete game, but it was as complete of a game as they've played all season. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember how bad the special teams were six, seven, eight years ago? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, we we have been like last year. I specifically remember a date in 2017 when we had a chance to beat Clemson. Hmm. We would have beat Clemson if we'd have made yeah. that field. Oh yeah, that's 2016. Everybody says 2017 for some reason. That's 2016. That's 2016. Why does it matter? They also should have beat Clemson. It matters so, to me because the 2017 game eats at my heart every day. Yeah, we should have won that game yeah. too. But hey, that we was, got two out of the last three. So, so yeah, that uh, that shows something that I think is underrated for Dave Doran that he gets a lot of flack for a lot of different things, but. He has identified gaps that need to be improved. Special teams was one of them at that time. He improved it. Shortly after that, the secondary was really kind of in shambles. It was it was it was a little bit embarrassing uh, week to week seeing the secondary. And then he went and totally revamped the secondary and brought in a lot of new talent. And then when they switched to the three five five setup, brought in a whole new couple linebackers. And so it's just been one position group after another, and we can see that 
trending towards next year where we seem to have a good crop of receivers coming in. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I, you know, I, I've, I got some heat this week for my Dave Doran praise, um, which I think is hilarious because I think I've criticized him quite a bit this year and last year for what I thought was a very conservative game management approach many times. But this is not a guy who can't adapt. This is not a guy who can't yeah. change. I think he's proven that. I mean, we watched special teams in secondary lose us games where we were the better team many times, multiple times through 16 and, and 17 and you look back at that last year and that's a team that won games because of the special teams and now we're seeing that we're pretty good all around in those in those areas mm. you know um it's 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 it always kind of is one of those things where unless it's like a kick return touchdown or like a punt return touchdown like it never makes a highlight reel it never makes a stat sheet no one really cares until you screw up mm-hmm. you know but yeah. When was the last time State fumbled a punt? I shouldn't have said that out loud. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah. I was going to say that, that, you know, special teams was actually one of my biggest areas of concern coming into this year because of what we had to replace. Thayer Thomas was the punt return guy. Uh, you know, obviously Christopher Dunn, the school's all-time leading scorer, should be the first kicker to have his jersey retired, in my opinion. But I think I think that, that there's – there's that was the concerning area for me and it, it hasn't been I mean they did they got a kicker out of the portal and Braden Narvison who's picked up right where we're done left off we saw what Noonkester could do a little bit last year and he's picked up the slack there so uh special teams has not been the concern I thought it would be yeah it's been nice it's, it's a nice luxury to have good special teams for sure Absolutely. It, makes a well, it makes a difference a lot of times Special teams can win a lot of football games for you if you do the right things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So what were some of the things from the Clemson game that, that, that kind of stood out to you that we, we maybe haven't discussed yet? Um, I know the crowd was engaged. It sounded like the crowd was really into it. Um, uh, maybe we need to have more games on the CW. I know we have at least one more because they've already announced the, the Wake game will be on the CW. But uh, what, what, what were some other takeaways maybe from, from the Clemson win? I was surprised that Kate Clubnett had 50 attempts. Uh, he was 33 yeah. of 50. He, they mm-hmm. they really were trying to pass. Um, they couldn't run the ball, I noticed. And and especially when, when Shipley came out of the game, they had the 41-yard run by Maffa. But then after yeah. that, it was like they couldn't run the ball. Yeah, that was 41 out of his total of 84. So he had 15 other runs for only like 40, 40 yards or so. Um, and, you know, I think our our defense – has made a point of, of not letting Will Shipley have big games against them. Um, that seems to be a recurring Well, not theme. just Will Shipley, but, but running backs in general this year. I mean, Jawar Jordan was taken out of the Louisville game. Rasheen Ali was taken out of the Marshall game. Not taken mm-hmm. out physically, but, I mean, in terms of stats. So yeah. State's done a really good job with run defense this year, and I think that's probably why Klubnik had to throw the ball so much. Yeah. Yeah, it's the strength of the defense is, is the traditional – traditional run defense and almost as a as a fortunate product of of that is how much they've been burned by play action but we didn't see that really in this game at all which was really nice um the thing that 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 i continue to like week after week more and more and it doesn't show up on the stat sheet for a lot of reasons but i'm a big robert and i fan um i think you go back and you look at so i I was not a big eli drinkwitz fan um and i went back and rewatched a lot of a lot of that you know, as I've started to understand more about the game over the years, I wanted to go back and put that 
that sequence into perspective. And there's just a lot more creativity um, just with alignments. Um, you know, the, the run scheme has a lot more to it. Uh, you know, with Drinkwitz, it was zone, 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 zone. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, there's a lot more going on, I think. Um, and I, I, he does a great job of, you know, just creating opportunities for his, his best players. Uh, you know, those were, those were great plays by, you know, Concepcion, but they were also schematically good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, and I liked, you know, the, the pocket movement for Morris, you know, that it was interesting. He didn't look comfortable in the pocket in this game, which is something that I thought he did a really good job of last year. And even into the early parts of this year, he seemed like he was pretty comfortable standing back there. They don't seem like they want him to stand back there and make reads. And I don't know, I don't know what the reasoning is for that. Because every time I've seen him on the field do it, he does a pretty good job. But that's not a particularly large sample size. I'm obviously not a coach. Um, but you know, they they move the pocket around for him. I think he's pretty good throwing on the run. Uh, and I think he, uh, you know, you know that that was a good thing for him. I think we'll see more of that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm becoming a bigger Robert and I fan w- with each week, and uh, you know, hopefully that starts to produce more numbers down the line. Well, he's using his he's using Concepcion in ways that uh, you know we might not have thought he was going to at the first of the year, but when you got somebody that's as good as him, you got to get him the football. So yeah, I think that's I think that's been a key. You know, he's been he's done a good job of getting people the ball that need to have the ball. So. Yeah. Wait, can you imagine if, if he's using Concepcion that way, what he might be able to do with Jonathan Taylor next year? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they got I mean, it's, I'm telling you, like the people are people are jaded from you know what this offense has become over the last couple of years, but don't uh don't mail it in because I, I'm sold on Morris as the quarterback. You know, and you got some guys coming in here that are real athletes, right? They can do some stuff, they can create matchup problems because at the end of the day everything offensively is built off of that if you can't do that you're you don't have anything no matter what you scheme up you know that's a reality of the game so um you know i don't think states can have a great offense at any point this year but you know there's there's some pieces i mean i think you have to get a little bit better offensive line play Mm -hmm. Uh, but but there's you know there's pieces in place here um and i think you have the right guy at the offensive coordinator position as well which there was definitely some some question marks there with beck uh and with and the drink as well and uh, there was wasn't really any question marks with with matt canada but that was for that was, that was in the wrong direction look what's going on in pittsburgh right now yeah, yeah. that is one of the most hated men in football right now that yeah. is crazy oh man uh, so yeah but anyway that was a complete tangent uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm sold on the, on, on Anai. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah. I think the offensive line play might be affecting the play selection because, um, it's, it's not just that they might not have full trust in MJ Morris's ability to progress through his reads. They're not allowing him time to stand back there for longer developing plays. So there yeah. were only mm-hmm. three pass attempts greater than 10 yards so and two of them were around like the 12 or 13 yards and then there was that one long pass attempt to anthony smith so i you know i that's the one thing that uh we knew going in that robert and i had this in his playbook these long pass attempts and that's what you know the through the air and that's the way we see college football the offenses are progressing these days 
those are the types of plays that I'd like to see with the remaining weeks because we know MG Morris has the arm. He's shown that he has decent long ball accuracy. You know, I'd like to see just long post routes or something. We still haven't seen anybody pull out the wheel route, like something, you know, 15, 20 yards to consistently go down. You know, I was watching the Kentucky Tennessee game and just, you know, I'm I try sorry. to keep, no, I mean, I try to keep an eye <laughs> on how Kentucky is doing just out of curiosity because I, I know that the Kentucky fans in general have not been very pleased with Devin Leary. And uh, I think overall, you know, he, he is who we thought he was, but he, he did really well, I think, against Tennessee. And the main takeaway there is they gave him the space to get into a rhythm with passing. It was just, he had consistent long drives where it was just like pass, 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 and he was passing to different guys around the field. And that's the kind of thing that we haven't seen Anai do with either Armstrong or Morris is just stick with the passing game for a while and allow your quarterback to get into a rhythm and allow the other receivers to be in the flow of the offense. It doesn't, a few of the plays have worked well, but they've been a bit disjointed. And so I'd like to see that look a little more cohesive moving forward. Yeah, I think you have to get completions to get into a rhythm. So you know, when you have pass protection issues, that starts to, to you know, you, as soon as you get behind the, that's this this team doesn't they get they've gotten behind the chains, and when that happens, you know, and there's a big problem at Duke. Um, you know, you get pass rushers coming downhill, you get the blitz packages right, and it hasn't it hasn't gone well for them there. Um, but like you know, you, you have to you have to be able to get consecutive completions, which that's a good point actually on the other side of the ball. Um, is State did a really good job, you know, with exotic pressures and, and creating uncomfortable situations for um, Cade Klubnik on on Saturday. Uh, I don't think I don't think they got they actually brought him down many times, but he was moving around in the pocket a lot, and he was thrown high, and he was clearly uncomfortable. And you know, when they backed off, when they went up by seventeen, and they, you know, they sat down. I think there was a, there was ten plays, and I think there was six passes, and on five of them, we just played base cover three defense with a three man rush. And he just got to sit back there and, and just pick apart his own. He got into the rhythm real quick. Mm-hmm. And then he wasn't throwing the ball down the field. But you could tell he got a lot more comfortable. You just have to give – I think Morris needs just a little bit more time to throw the football. And I'm a full believer in, in him and his decision-making. The reads that he makes, I think, are right on. It's about the long shots, right? When he when he finds one-on-one, he trusts his players, and he takes those shots, and I, I love that. Um, and, yeah, your point about Anthony Smith – I don't think Anthony Smith has great ball skills. I think that ball has to drop in there mm-hmm. if, if he's going to catch it. But I think the quarterback is there. I think it's a, you just have to you know, give him a little bit more time is a big part of it. And, uh, you know, keep scheming up some easy throws. The first touchdown pass on, on Saturday was an easy throw. So was the second one. Um, you know, that was an after-the-catch play. So uh, I, I like the direction we're heading for sure. Uh, it's It hasn't quite come together offensively yet uh you know it doesn't help that you can't run the ball that definitely mm-hmm. but yeah i mean i agree with you to be fair to do Anthony we think Smith, that he, he was held on that play yeah yeah absolutely do we do we think that that clemson fans are missing dj Uyunglele right now <laughs> no i think well, they're missing kate klubnik from what Trevor i lawrence he <laughs> Did he leaves the FBS in fumbles? Is that the right stat? He has like an insane. I think insane, so. I think yeah, he leaves. Davo actually had a quote. He said they'd be they'd be undefeated if they didn't lead the nation in fumbles. Yeah, he That's himself. What he, said. he is, and he's like, <laughs> I think this. Oh my gosh. So he fumbled again in this game, but they recovered it. So I think he's either got nine or ten fumbles, and like the next closest person is like five. 
So it's like <laughs> he's, well, he's... and if and if you're Clemson, you have to look at their remaining schedule, right? So they've got um, Notre Dame this weekend at home. They play Miami. They play South Carolina, uh, and they play North Carolina. So there's a chance that Clemson doesn't even make a bowl game this year. They they probably will. But, you know, we're looking at a possibility of a Clemson team that could theoretically lose out. Theoretically. What do you guys think of the um, Taylor from Spartanburg uh, <laughs> comments? I, I actually liked Dabo's response to that. I thought I, it was I, very... Yeah. yeah. Did everybody see that? Joel, did you see that? I didn't see that. No. <laughs> oh my gosh! You need to go back and watch. This was crazy. This was um. So it was it was Dabo's um weekly call-in coaches show, right? And some guy named Tyler from Spartanburg called in, and it was amazing that they let this go on at all. Uh, they need to fix their call screening. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This guy basically called him arrogant and and asked him why he was making eleven million dollars to go four and four, and I mean. You know, you know Davos Sweeney always puts on a face for everything, right? He went off on this guy. Yeah. Um, and well, if, by the way, if you haven't listened to the question, you should, because I've always been a believer that a coach that makes ten million dollars a year needs to let you know know nothing fans criticizing them just let that go because that's part of the job. Mm-hmm. But but if there was ever a time and I was okay with it, I was okay with that. Well, like, did you Fine. see what happened the next day? So the next day was Halloween, right? And, and Dabo walks into the press conference and he's in a really chipper mood and he asks everybody what they're going to be for Halloween. And one of the Clemson beat writers shouts Tyler from Spartanburg. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so Dabo's wow. response was uh, actually, I, I, I give him credit because he, defended all of the accomplishments that he has had. And he, he said yeah. that what people need to have is a, is a, a real appreciation for the progression that this program has shown. And he harped on the 12 plus year, 12 years of 10 plus wins and two national championships. You know, the only other team that's won twice in the last seven years. And um, besides Georgia and Alabama, and after not having won a championship for 35 years. And so he, you know, he's, he's right that, and this is something that I, I think has, we've noticed with Clemson fans for a long time is, is during the Tommy Bowden era, they had a sense of almost like entitlement. Like they deserve to be at the elite of the top of the sport. And then they kind of got See their wish. Face right now. <laughs> let, me, let me crack my knuckles real quick before we talk about Clemson fans. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's um, like they felt like they they deserved to be at the top of the heap, and then they got there, and now that they're starting to slide back, it's like now they just have this continued entitlement that that's what they deserve. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I was waiting for you to start going on a rant. No, I'm going to keep this PG. Anyway, <laughs> no, I think that it's interesting though, and, and this kind of leads into my next point is, you know, NC State has been a top tier ACC program now, an eight nine win win team most years, uh, barring twenty nineteen uh, and Dave's first year uh, under Dave Doran. So they've, I don't, I guess we could call that a top tier ACC program, but Clemson and now Florida State have been the gold standard of the conference. So I know Clemson's down this year. 
But to win two out of three against Dabo Swinney and to get Dave Doran tied for the all-time wins record at NC State with Earl Edwards kind of leads into my next question, and that is, what has Dave Doran's legacy at NC State been to this point? And when all is said and done, what do you think we'll look back on the most whenever he decides to hang it up? That's a good question. I, I think that his legacy is going to be that he built a program here. He, he, he built a culture at NC State. Uh, he's a good program builder. He's a good administrator. He's a good program manager. I think that's the legacy, but also the fact that we he, we became a consistent winner under Dave Doran. Uh, we haven't really had that. I mean, we had it with a motto for a while, but we had Philip Rivers too, so that was kind of uh, <laughs> helps. helps a lot, you know. And you know, Dick Sheridan before that, but we've had some 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 years where we struggled. But I think I think consistently we've become a really good team, and I think recruiting has gotten a lot better under Dave Doran too. Uh, so I think that we'll look back on that, you know, and say that that's, that's, he built the program and he, he kind of gave us credibility as a program. Yeah. Program building thing is the real thing uh, to note. Plus we didn't have as many uh, people going into the league consistently year after year. Um, that definitely was not happening in the Tom O'Brien era. So uh, to have a positive reputation, not just at the collegiate level, but pro scouts know that this is a program that is developing players and putting them out consistently to be ready for an NFL schedule. Um, and then you get to see, you know, across the league, the number of, of former Dave Dorn players that are in the league mm-hmm. right now, that, you know, to be near the top of the list nationally of just year after year, people were putting in the league. Um, and Dave Dorn was asked again about, you know, speaking of responding to comments, you know, his whole thing of responding to Steve Spitz's comments, um, he was asked again during the, the, the press conference and, and he, you know, he talked about how he was just saying things in the heat of the moment at the time, but noting to his credit that during his tenure, NC State is either second or third in total wins while he's been there in the ACC. So, mm-hmm. you know, even if they haven't been in the driver's seat for an ACC championship, they've been right in the mix. And I think the majority of schools around the country would take 10 or 11 years of this production over the normal up and down waves that most places go through. So I think um, legacy is, you know, I think it's a great question. Legacy is probably a term that needs to be defined a little bit more because I think that that discussion can become very semantic. But um, what his is, what we'll remember Dave Doran for, I think has not yet been, it'll be based on what happens next. I think everything that you guys said is I agree with it completely. He's the guy who has, you know, established something that is sustainable, which is pretty rare mm-hmm. among middling programs like NC State. I've made this point a lot with other teams that have, you know, generally in our um, area of our tier, I guess. Um, you know, your Virginias, your UNCs, your um, Georgia Tech, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech been, yeah. you know, those teams like they, they've done the things that everyone's complaining that Dave Dave hasn't done, right? Wake has won 10 games and been to an ACC championship, right? UNC has accidentally backed into an Orange Bowl and <laughs> lost that <laughs> um, Virginia has played it, right? But none of that was sustainable. If you look at that stuff as it happened, 
right? Dave Clawson is not a consistent winner. He's a consistent seven and five coach with a lot of losing seasons to get to that point, right? He had lightning in a bottle with A.T. Perry and that group that has not, it hasn't been, all right, same thing is true with Virginia, right? They, you know, they had a great team with Bronco Mendenhall. They went five and five the next year in the COVID year, four and four, something like that. They haven't been good and haven't been good since, right? Dave is a consistent eight to nine win coach right now. And when you're winning that amount of games consistently, right, you're in the conference race basically every year. And you know what? People aren't going to like to hear this if they're Dave Dorn haters, but State's in the conference race right now. They really they are. Out, they, they, are. They, could, they could be there, you know, and you're, you're – how often were you ever really in that position with Tom O'Brien? One yeah. year. How yeah. often were you ever really in that position with Chuck? One year. So it's like I don't think people appreciate – how difficult it is to get to a point where you're in position to take that next step. I understand the complaints that we have not taken that next step, right? They've been right there really four times for either an ACC title or a New Year's Six Bowl, and they've come up about three points short every single time. It's very, very, very frustrating. And I share the complaints that people have about, you know, some of the game management issues that I think I've held State back. I think sometimes Dave overcoaches the team, but at the core of it, this is a guy who's figured out how to win at NC State. And we're just trying to get over a hump now as opposed to just being bad. I remember partying because State beat 5-7 and seven Maryland to go to the Meineke Car Care Bowl. <laughs> I don't want to go back there. I do not want to go back to that. So when I see a guy who can come in here and he can consistently win eight to nine games and consistently put you in a position – where you have a chance, eventually that's going to fall the other way. And so, you know, Dave wants to retire young. I don't know if he's going to get to that elusive title game and title before he does that. But his legacy for a lot of people will depend on that. Now, to me, there's a certain degree of randomness to whether or not you actually get there, especially in a crowded, mediocre league. Uh, So I'll, I'll try to look at it you know, as the job he did versus the breaks that fell and assign those as, as they deserve to be assigned. But to me, you know, I'm a big Dave fan because I think he has, he has the recipe, right. And he's built something sustainable and he's also a good dude. He's not, he's not a bag of crap, right. He's a good dude. And that to me has value, even if it doesn't directly impact the win loss record. Yeah. Um, you know, there's lots of coaches out there that are like, Hey, these guys suck. Get rid of them. Mm-hmm. I know one who said it out loud Two who said it out loud this weekend. All right. But Dave, you know, if you notice Dave has two, Dave has had two really bad football teams and neither one of them quit on him. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a culture at play that is relevant. And I appreciate that. Even if it isn't a direct impact on the record, it's a direct input toward winning still appreciate that. And I think there's yeah. value in even representing the university and I will say one more thing, and then I'm going to stop because I've been talking for like 20 minutes right here. <laughs> one more person, one more person says something about Dave Doran's overall record <laughs> as some sort of relevant point about his quality as a coach. I am going to absolutely lose my mind. It doesn't matter. The first four years of Dave Doran, 13, 14, 15, 16, right? <laughs> Thank you. Is the <laughs> roster turnover for him from Tom O'Brien. So if you're asking me, what it really starts to matter is after that, okay? Because that is when Dave has recruited his players all the way through one cycle. He has a senior class now, okay? 
From that point on, he has won eight football games in every regular season but one. So when you talk about his overall record, you're talking about two huge outliers that have one win and 15 losses. And when you say that, someone always freaks out and they're like, hey, you know, those years still count. Of course they do. But they're statistical outliers, and the concept of an outlier exists for a reason, because it doesn't actually represent the data set. Now, Dave Dorn is a consistent 8-9 and win coach at NC State. If you agree with that, those two years don't represent that. They're outliers, so they shouldn't impact your perception of him as a coach. But if you're going to talk about the overall record being some sort of valuable number, then you're saying that they do. It doesn't make any sense, because almost everybody agrees with that first point. So I'm just very, very, very frustrated with that take, and I think it needs to go away and die because it is not a relevant yeah. point at all. Is that your long-winded way of saying ice up, son? Uh, was that a, oh, Steve Smith? Yeah, right. yeah. I like it. Well, Steve Smith – no, I will say one thing about Steve Smith is I bet he thought what Dave said was cool because yeah. Steve Smith is a legendary trash talker, mm-hmm. and I bet he was like, this guy is good. And he was, well, he's probably, and then I know they like talked on the phone. So like, I, well, he invited I know to a game too. So, yeah, he invited him to so. game. He said, come, you know, be a guest on the sideline. And that, you know, that would be pretty cool just to see him there. Yeah. Well, I think for me, my biggest point on Dave is, you know, you guys all kind of echoed it a little bit, uh, but the culture that he's built was one for me, but also how much he loves this school. I mean, right. He came from Northern Illinois. We didn't know a whole lot about him. He was a, a very brief head coaching tenure, but how much he loves this school, the fact that he, in the offseason, just donates money to the university, creates, I think he created a foundation, I might be wrong about that, but that to me is a sign of a guy that loves it here, loves this state, loves the community at NC State, and you know there were some concerns that maybe he'd leave for an SEC school, I know there were a few that, that were entertaining that and interested in him, and he stuck it out at NC State. And I'm not going to be shocked if he retires young and retires early, but I don't ever see him leaving NC State on oh, he's his retiring own. Here. Yeah. He's retiring. Yeah. I don't ever yeah. see him leaving on his own. So, you know, he what he has built, and, and, and that's a good point. I, I said something to somebody earlier today, too. Like, look at schools like Miami now. Look at schools like... Um, you know, what Florida State was the last few years, uh, what Alabama was before Nick Saban got there. Schools go through ebbs and flows, right? Michigan was bad for a long time. Wisconsin was bad for a long time. Ohio State is really the only one I can think of that's been a consistent proven winner all the way through. And so for Dave to build – LSU, that's another one, yeah. So for, for, for Dave to build – 11 to 12 years for the most part with those two outliers that Alec mentioned of a consistent winning football program. That to me shows you that he is a darn good football coach. Right. And we're not Ohio state or LSU or Alabama. We're not in any of those schools. So the definition of consistent winner at NC state right now is a little bit different, but that's okay. The point it's, it's less about consistent winner. It's more about consistent elevation. The right. point I was making there was was more along the lines of for those that, that think that Dave isn't getting the job done is that even the biggest of programs go through ebbs and flows. Like look sure. at what's going yeah. on with Clemson right now. But NC State has not ebbed and flowed under Dave unless the entire team is injured like it were in 2019. 
So yeah, and you have, yeah, yeah, that must, and you have bad seasons, right? Every team, every team has a, you know, for Alabama, a bad season might be nine and three, right? For us, it's three and nine. It does totally yeah. different, but, <laughs> but you know, teams have bad seasons, you know, and that's that's what 2019 was, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't some coaching disaster class, right? It was a bad hire made, you know, and then it was rectified, uh, and that stuff happens. But to me, you know, I'll stop harping on it, but. <laughs> At least just come from a place of, of, of honesty on it. You know, I will absolutely talk to you about, you know, why we why we decided to play cover three for an entire drive as soon as we went up by 17, rush three guys and give up an easy touchdown because that's what they did. <laughs> you know, that stuff drives me up a wall. Don't worry, it does. But come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I couldn't help but laugh during Al's rant because that's as passionate as I've seen him about NC State football in a long time. So I, I was that was good to see, and he's about as passionate as it comes. So that was that that was very entertaining, Alec. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the the NC State basketball uh, exhibition against Mount Olive. Alec was there, um, and so he can give us some on-site insights. I like that phrase uh, oh. about the. Uh, about this, uh, this this NC State basketball team, a brand new NC State basketball team from top to bottom, except for DJ Burns and a few others. But you were there, Alec. Uh, what did you like? I know you had some dislikes as well. Uh, so just uh, fill us every, fill everybody in. Well, the first thing is everybody's favorite exhibition game comment is that it's an exhibition game. Uh, so it doesn't. It, it's not. Uh, it's hard to draw any any kind of conclusions, and in, in doing so is pretty fruitless. But um, the big question for me coming into this year was was you know who's going to become the ball dominant guards after losing Smith and Joyner. Um, I think State really wants it to be O'Connell because I think it wants to play more through the post than it did last year, or really any year with Keats. It wants to play through Burns more. Um, I'm going to be a little bit more blunt here than I typically am. O'Connell was terrible. Uh, in the exhibition game, he was v- very bad. Uh, I think he had four or five turnovers. Um, he's not a scorer. He never has been a scorer. I just, I don't, so my thing with O'Connell is he sees the floor well. He's he's a capable passer, uh, which is something I don't think you've had much of um, since, really since Markel Johnson. Uh, but I don't think he's explosive enough to operate the ball screen. I mean, he's going to be able to, to you know, you, you got to be, throwing an entry pass is a skill. Um, and they're gonna they're gonna want to throw a lot of those because they're gonna play through Burns a lot, but you have to have a second element beyond that because Burns is gonna foul out. <laughs> Burns commits a lot of fouls, and Burns is a huge defensive liability for all of his offensive exploits. He's a huge defensive liability. He cannot play thirty five minutes a game. Yeah, right. You're going to have to cycle through Middlebrooks and and Di- Di- excuse me, Diara. Yeah, I liked I like DJ Horn a lot. I think that that's the guy that's going to need the ball more than anyone else because I think he's the most explosive guard. Uh, and I think you have to, you know, you're going to have to run your base offense, uh, which is, of course, the spread ball screen. Um, he's a guy who can shoot. Right? He made a couple of threes off of just lackadaisical ball screen defense. You have to have that threat. You really have to have that threat, um, which is something they obviously had last year. So and, and I think he's, you know, I don't think he's necessarily an elite scorer in the paint but he's a little bit more explosive than taylor and he's much more explosive than o'connell i don't want to write off o'connell i'm not saying he's gonna be a terrible player i'm just saying he wasn't he was not good um at point guard this what is it wednesday 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, Joel, well, you you wrote a number of previews about about all these guys, so I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Um, about really, you know, what what's the guard lineup going to look like this year? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we saw a lot of different. There was a lot of different combinations tonight. I was listening to the game on the uh, listening to Gary Hahn and the and the, and and I just you know I don't know how it's going to work out. I mean, I I was I had questions about O'Connell as far as him fitting into the system. Uh, you know, I like Keith likes to play fast, and I just didn't know if that was going to fit in with him really well. Uh, DJ Horn, I thought he would be really good. I thought he would fit in well, and uh, you know, and Taylor's a good shooter. He can score points. We know that because he scored points at Butler. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, Dennis Parker played really well from what from what yeah. I was. I mean, he he they said he's very athletic, you know, and he was, uh, and I thought Breon Pass played really well from what I was listening to. I mean. He had some points, you know, he, he made a few turnovers, but you know, Breon's, Breon's got, he has a, he has the ability. He just needs the opportunity to see, to show what he can do. I think, you know, I think he can help a lot at point guard. I really do. Yeah. Um, he was, he was the best point guard on the floor um, tonight of the two really for sure. But I agree with what you said about Dennis Parker. I also really like Diara a lot. I think he's my favorite player on the team. Uh, he made a three. He was one for one from three. Uh, he's um, a really, he can shoot the ball. And he's um he's lengthy and he's an athlete and he's going to be able to switch and he hopefully he's going to be able to pop um and if he can shoot the ball that's a guy that you can space the floor with while also allowing his defense to exist on their side of the ball so uh, I'm really really excited to see what he can bring. Well, he's athletic and he's quick and you know the game footage that I watched of him from last year, I mean he was just you know he he moved he moved really well he can shoot the ball really well. So he gives you that other dimension. And I think if he's playing at the five, you know, there's going to be times when State can be able – they can switch one through five with him because he's that yeah. – he can do that, you know. That's exciting. Yeah, I, I, that's something they didn't really have last year, especially after Dusan went down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, he had – he looked good to me. He, he was – you know, I was expecting a little bit of like a deer in the headlights kind of thing because that's not uncommon to see from – you know what? What I would call a raw, still relatively raw player. Uh, he was pretty. He was very under control. Uh, he was where he needed to be. Um, I, yeah, I'm. I'm really excited to have him on the court. I think he should get some minutes this year. And I know they said a lot of good stuff about him in the in the preseason camp as well. So, yeah, I know Kevin Keats said he thought he was a point guard, but in a kind of joking. But he can handle the ball too. So as a for a big guy like that. So, you know. Yeah, well, we'll have a lot more. We'll have a lot more basketball uh, content to come. Uh, of course, coming up here, obviously, women's basketball just landed a big five-star uh, recruit as well. So Wes Morris got got that cooking, um, and they're going to have a lot of national TV games this year. Even though NC State women are unranked, I know they play UConn on national TV. They have a few more like that, so uh, it'll be fun to watch them this year as well. Real quick before we get to our QOTD. Uh, uh, is this a make or break year for Kevin Keats? Ooh. Um, what do you guys think? I'm going to say yes. Yeah. I think it has to be at this point. Um, you know, he, you know, he, similar to Dave Doran, he has been, uh, a, a very likable character and, you know, he's, he's easy to root for. Um, but he hasn't, 
been the consistent winner that Dave Dorn has, um, even at you know the relatively uh, lower ceiling that has historically been uh, with NC State over the last twenty years or so. You know, he, um, only making it to two NCAA tournaments uh, over this time and not winning a single game. Um, I think at a bare minimum, you know, the the entry point for what the expectation is for NC State on a year-to-year basis is being in the mix to make the NCAA tournament, getting in there and, you know, doing a little bit more successful and then just lo- losing on the first weekend. Um, you know, he hasn't progressed far in the ACC tournaments. You know, those postseason types of hurdles are the ones where he's generally uh, gotten jammed up. Um, you know, he's never won more than one game in the ACC tournament, uh, you know, in, in a given year. So, um, yeah, and I don't think he's finished in the top three in the regular season in the ACC yet. So first year, he did first year. The first. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That was his best team by far. Yeah, by far. <laughs> and, those, and those weren't his players. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been an interesting ride because he has fully embraced the transfer portal, but almost to an extreme level. And, uh, you know, I feel like I spend the first month or two of every season just learning who these new people are so that I have a a good understanding before conference play starts. So, and we're going to be doing that again this year. Um, And I I think that the ACC is at a place where you can, with the right, group of people group of team you could make some noise uh the it's there for somebody to take it there there is no super dominant team i think duke's got probably the most amount of talent returning um you know but you know, i i think he's got to show something this year and i'm I'm going to try not to be overly critical but i'll say that i'm, I'm not as big of a fan overall in the kevin keats tenure as i am of deb De- doran so you know I, I i need to see something from this year yeah, I agree with that too. I mean, I'm like you. I'm not as big of a fan of Kevin Keats as I am Dave Doran. You know, he's he's been a good ambassador for NC State. You know, and he's you know, and and he you know he does go to the portal. He's got some. He's he's changed assistant coaches when he thought he needed to, and I think that's helped some. Uh, my biggest my biggest complaint about Keats is his roster, his substitution pattern is just mind boggling to me. <laughs> I mean, I don't understand it at all. He's got a guy that plays really well in the first half. You don't see him the second half until, you know, two minutes left in the game. And I just, I don't understand that. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I don't, two, he does that a lot. Too. Two years ago understand. with uh, DJ Funderburk. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say. UNC. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so does I, that mean real, does that mean oh, kind of the, the expectations then for, for Kevin Keats in you guys' minds, just so I'm on the same page? Is that if he doesn't make it to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, we, we, we might be looking something someplace else next year. It depends how the regular season goes. You know, if yeah. if he can finish in the top four and just show consistency, um, you know, consistent improvement game to game. It, you know, we don't want to see like throughout the season, just like okay, which team is going to show up today? You know, because that's the one thing we we need to to understand who the team is and they all need to understand their roles and if we can just see them be in the fight every single week 
where it looks like the trend is upwards, then, you know, we can be satisfied with that. But, you know, so it's not to say like sweet 16 or bust or something like that. Obviously that, that'd be nice, but I, I it, we need to, to just see some mojo better. Yeah. I don't I, think you can put the specifics on it to say like, cause, cause we need to be real about the NCAA tournament is it's a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Keats is, going to lose his job this year unless the bottom just absolutely falls out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I forgot. I forgot what I was gonna... <laughs> Go ahead, Joel. You're going to say something. I mean, you know, it's, if, if he can finish in the top, you know, four or five in the, in the regular season and not get embarrassed by Clemson in the, in the conference tournament, <laughs> you know, and, and make the NCAA, yeah. I think obviously, you know, I think that would probably save his job and, because that would show some improvement. At least we're we're, we're going forward instead of backwards. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the key as far as you know, as far as what we're going to see. If if he can do that, I think I think he'll be okay. You know, yeah. and this team has a chance to do that. It's just there's a lot of new players. It takes a long time to get some chemistry there and to get a to get a, a you know a lineup the the flow of the lineup that you want to do and see who's who's going to play well on the court together. So it's going to take a little bit of time for that. I think they'll get better, but I think they have some some talent. And I think overall, I think we have a lot more players. We can play a lot more players than we've been able to do. So I think that's there is an opportunity for us to do, you know, to have a better season this year. And that's and that's the thing that a, a lot of people have harped on uh, the consistency of roster year to year, where it just doesn't seem to be uh, something where where we know who is going to be on the team one year to the next and that that turnover hurts the chemistry of the team and it and it takes longer every single year to get them ramped up and playing together so the teams that have shown consistent success are the ones that have a a core group of players that are together year after year and even in the current era of the transfer portal still teams that are successful are showing that as long as they can keep a core group together they they can have success um you know virginia is a good example you know carolina is a good example of, of that so um you know there's obviously things that you need to do in the transfer portal to, to fill gaps but to be doing full roster overhauls year after year is not a recipe for success in my opinion yeah well we hmm. gotta we gotta get to our question of the day here because we're running out of time but uh, I wanted to ask about the the ACC football scheduling model that came out, but we can talk about that maybe a little bit next week. Uh, but NC State will be making a trip to the West Coast. Uh, I don't know if they've ever been to the West Coast for regular season games. So uh, they'll play at Cal next year. We can talk about that next week, though, a little bit. But question of the day, uh, as the calendar has flipped to November, I know a lot of people are getting ready for Christmas, even though there's another holiday before that known as Thanksgiving. Uh <laughs> And Assad and I are on the same page that Christmas music should wait until after Thanksgiving is expired. Yeah. But uh, the question of the day revolves around a movie that didn't come out at Christmas time, but takes place at Christmas time. And that is a movie that is a Lauer family tradition at Christmas, and that <laughs> is Die Hard. So the question of the day is Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Our resident diehard connoisseur, Alec Lauer, go first. <laughs> yeah, I've probably seen this movie 22 times or something ridiculous like that. I don't Every even year. like it. I honestly don't even like it anymore. But no, Die Hard is a fantastic film. Die Hard is 
the peak of action movie making. And I won't get into why, because, but it is the best action movie ever made. But it is not a Christmas movie, guys. It came out in July. The movie came to theaters in July. How can it be a Christmas movie? Um, I like to say it is because it's fun. But uh, at the end of the day, it, the, the argument just ends with the fact that it came out in July. Wasn't it supposed to come out in December originally, if I'm not mistaken? I don't know, but it didn't. <laughs> uh, I, I think... Uh, not only is it the greatest action movie of all time, it is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. And oh. it's, uh, you know, it takes place during a Christmas party. And uh, there are <laughs> things, uh, uh, themes of Christmas that are happening all around. And uh, John McClane wins the final shootout against Hans Gruber using tape from uh, a wrapping paper that would have been used for a Christmas present. So, you know, it's uh, one thing after another. And I think the movie ends with Christmas music playing. Um, so it's, it, how can it not be a Christmas movie? There's plenty of movies that come out not during the holiday season that are t- that are set during Christmas time. And those are Christmas movies. Uh, you know, if- Take what? Name, name some, name some. <laughs> name some, not, name some right now. <laughs> I will Google a list and I'll I'll make a blog post about it. So, is it a Christmas movie? I've never thought of it as a Christmas movie. It's a it's a great action movie, but I just don't think it's a Christmas movie. Not for I me. I agree. It's not. It's a fine movie to watch at Christmas. Yeah, that's 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 okay. Yeah. So, so what is it about watching it at Christmas time that that makes it a tradition that doesn't make it a Christmas movie? I watched it it many times during the year and it's (laughs) as good in July and, and, and May as it is in, as it is in December. Now I will tell you that if you watch elf in May, Something's weird. <laughs> that's my favorite Christmas movie. Made, that's fine. See, yeah. this, this, that's where the that's where the um. Well, I guess the end all be all and the decision maker in this is Bruce Willis. And and before he uh, had his health issues, uh, he had that Comedy Central roast. Uh, and one of the things he mentioned is he doesn't think it's a Christmas movie. But I'm going to disagree with the goat. I I I think it's a Christmas <laughs> movie through and through. It takes place at Christmas. And that makes it a Christmas movie, plain and simple. I mean, that's that's the only argument there is. Is is the Hawaii Bowl a Christmas movie? Because that takes place at Christmas too. <laughs> it's a Christmas bowl game. <laughs> so you're saying know, movies guys. can take place around the holiday season, but that doesn't necessarily make them Christmas movies. True. Yes, that's what I think. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we will uh, we will wrap it up. We'll say yippee kaye to this edition of the Lotcast, <laughs> and uh, we'll talk a little bit more next week. Hopefully, have a positive uh, Miami talk and look ahead to uh, the Demon Deacons, who are once again a protected opponent of NC State. I'm glad about that. Mm-hmm. Um, sad that we're dropping Clemson though, but uh, we'll get Wake Forest back yearly and keep that keep that annual rivalry going. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Lotcast. For Alec, Assad, and Joel, I am Trey.